Number one, I'm very glad to hear Shawn Michaels' comments regarding the career of Buddy Landell that he finds so important to remember. But let me give you a brief little autobiography of Buddy Landell. From Television City in Hollywood. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Discretionary viewer participation is advised for the following professional wrestling exhibition. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, greetings from Allentown is not taped in front of a live studio audience. Welcome to episode 171 of Greetings from Allentown. I'm your host, Peter Winston. And today, as the song says, <laughs> Smoky Mountain Wrestling's on TV from July 29th, 1995. So it's the final months of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And you might be surprised given how negative I've been on wrestling in general. And in fact, I said, oh, I'm only going to do these Power 5 promotions and I'm going to have to be really inspired to go outside of that. But at the same time, I was also saying, I'd really like to do an episode of Smoky, but I I just had trouble finding something. Well, as it turns out, there were a few people on Twitter and it might have been Alan Blackstock's Twitter because I saw the interview there with Buddy Landell. And listening to the Buddy Landell promo on this show kind of inspired me to seek this one out and do this. Because, well, I think that there's a greater point to be made from it. And also, it's a sensational promo. I've been doing a lot of those lately, or at least personal favorites of mine, like Dusty on Brother Love, Austin, of course, last week. So I I think I'm doing more of those as sort of a hook rather than, oh, here's a storyline, here's a haircut angle. Of course, I'll I'll never uh, not be uh, shy to do any hair angles for this show. Not, Not for me personally, although I told the story about getting my haircut last week which led to a rather lengthy rant about the state of our world, which, funny enough, how I didn't even touch on the thing that you know caused basically the world to explode, or the United States to explode for the rest of the week, because I recorded that on Tuesday afternoon, and that really blew up after that. So maybe I'll address that a little bit later. I have to say that Booking the Territory covered this episode of Smoky Mountain Wrestling from July 29th, 95, about three or four months ago, I want to say. Excellent podcast. I do suggest that you check those out. I, I hope I hope I can do it as good as they do. They have a, probably a greater institutional knowledge of Smoky Mountain Wrestling just because they've been doing podcasts on every episode of Smoky dating back to the very beginnings in 1992 i can't remember if the pilot aired in 91 or if it was just taped then 
But do check that out for all of your Smoky Mountain wrestling needs. Now let me get in my plugs. You can email the show, GriggsValentown at gmail.com. I don't even give a crap about the Facebook stuff, so I'll just, you know, I'm there. I'll float around every so often. It's fine. It's 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 the place where I post the link for GFA Live with Keithy and then his mother comments on something. Really kind of making me self-conscious. Funny funny fact though, I I I love Keithy. I've actually I actually don't know if I've ever met his mother. That's uh, kind of interesting. Estelle Costanza comes to mind when people describe her. And on Twitter, at GF Allentown Pod. That is at GF Allentown Pod. Twitter, still a cesspool, but I'm there. I don't I don't scroll it as much as I was. So I've, I've found myself to have calmed down as a result of that. One thing that helps me is that I had more to do at work towards the end of last week. That certainly controls things as well but you have to make a conscious effort to not be sitting there and mindlessly scrolling twitter you have to find a distraction in your life and for me it's been this real oddity for much of this whole thing where we've been quarantined shelter at home whatever terminology you want to use where i have been watching a ton of basketball on tv (laughs) on youtube games from the 80s And, of course, in the past week, I've been watching the Celtics and Sixers from the 81 Conference Finals. I'll be getting to the 82 Conference Finals probably before the show even drops. Just remarkable games between two great teams. And this thing, there's been talk about how it's changing the mental state of people and just the psychological effects. I I, I said this at the very beginning, the psychological effects of this are going to be interesting down the road. But I never would have expected that I would come out of this with this great and grand respect for the Los Angeles Lakers, at least the Showtime teams. Maybe not so much the Kobe Shaq stuff because I haven't read too much into that. And also because basketball kind of sucked during that era. That's my personal opinion. It, It got away from sort of the the team game that it was I'd, I'd say up through 1996 is is where I about check out on the NBA and then probably come back and I enjoy the game more around 0607 when the Phoenix Suns sort of brought back a more active style of basketball but but anyway th- that is one of the distractions that I've been sort of occupying myself with. And I've taken it now one step further after last week, where I actually went to Target the other day, which (laughs) they actually had hand sanitizer, which I thought was kind of amusing. And they had it next to the line, the socially distanced line where you have to wait to pay for your stuff. And Target was very good, although going in, I had this game plan where I had everything written out on a sheet or an index card or something where the aisle that all the stuff that I was going to get would be in because it's get in, get out. I I don't feel like wasting any time in these places. And one of the things that I wanted to purchase was a basketball. Now, I'm a 41-year-old man who suffered a knee injury over the winter. And for whatever reason, that knee injury has... I have this weird mental block where I used to run two miles at a clip and now... I find myself just kind of unable to do it for whatever reason. And I really should work on overcoming that. 
But I'm thinking of like other ways of exercising. I have a medicine ball. That's fine. Of course, a medicine ball was very similar to a basketball. Just you know, you can't bounce it. But I wanted to go, you know, down to the park and just shoot free throws. It just clears clears my head. It also provides an ample opportunity to listen to podcasts, which is nice because for whatever reason, I've sort of fallen behind on that sort of thing. And I understand that very well because I can just look at. I don't look at my show's metrics all that much. You know, I always talk about, oh, I don't really care about the audience growth. I do like to get insights on what people like to listen to so that I know which things, you know, which things people, you in the audience are listening to this program. And I would kind of, not only am I doing this like what I want to watch, but for what you want to hear me talk about as well. So I kind of go off that a little bit. I can see that WWF shows from the 80s tend to do the best, so I kind of adjust things accordingly. So, But I've noticed in the last 10, 12 weeks or whatever that the numbers are down slightly relative to where they were before, and that's fine. I understand that because that's, that's kind of me listening to podcasts now. But when I'm just going to... The local, actually, it's, it's this weird complex with a high school, a middle school, and an elementary school. It's uh, <laughs> kind of a sprawling thing. It, it is where I would also run as well, two miles. Of course, the track is closed because, you know, renovations on that. They also closed the park that I used to like to run in close to my house about a year ago for two years, which kind of made me sad during my unemployment because I probably would have gone there every freaking day. But just shooting baskets has helped me clear my head, at least the last two days as, as I'm talking right now. Am I a good basketball player? Absolutely not. I, I am completely terrible. In fact, like I said, I'm a 41-year-old man. I'm completely useless. If somebody if somebody wanted to organize like a three-on-three game, it, it would have to be three-on-three because two-on-two, one-on-one. I'm not a one-on-one player. I never was. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do anything out there. I would just have to be clear with all these people. Look, I don't shoot the ball. Uh, yeah, I could probably maybe pass it a little bit. But really, all I'm good for is setting picks and setting screens. That's that's pretty much all I can do at this point. And I've watched enough 1980s basketball to understand the mechanics of how that works. But so luckily, I'll, I'll just be playing. I'll be playing with myself, <laughs> if as it were. And I'm not doing it to distract myself from the world at large. I'm perfectly aware of what's going on out there and it all starting in Minneapolis, a, a city that I like very much, although with my flight to Kansas City being changed, thanks a lot, Delta Airlines, you no longer have a direct flight to Kansas City. I don't even know if I'll even be going next month, but they're flying me through Minneapolis both ways, which I guess it's an okay airport if you don't have to go too far for your gates when you're changing planes because you know there's a lot of good beer in Minnesota Surly and the rest but I, I understand what these protests are about now I can't put myself in the shoes of an African-American person in this country as Buck Walter the Orioles said during the Freddie Gray thing five years ago I've never been black I can't I can't address any of that but what I understand is that there are obvious differences in the way people are policed based on the color of their skin. And this occurred to me last Thursday 
when I was driving down to my mother's to put out her trash. It was delayed by a day because of Memorial Day. And I stupidly left my wallet at home, which, of course, had my driver's license in it. And I realized that as I was pulling into the driveway at my mother's house and I felt my pocket, I'm like, oh, crap, it's not there. And thinking to myself, if I got pulled over without a license, I don't think something truly bad would happen. And then I thought to myself, if I was African-American and the exact same thing happened, not even to mention the fact, the, the whole driving while black thing, where you're more likely to get pulled over anyway because that's the way police have operated in this country for years and years and years, that I'm going to be treated differently for that. It didn't stop me from worrying about it, but you know, it, it's just a thought that came into my head. And then I promptly ran a, blanked out and ran a red light in Lowell on my way home. <laughs> Which luckily, luckily nobody saw it, but it's kind of a bullshit red light because it's a crosswalk where it's like a, you have to, there has to be a pedestrian there hitting the walk thing. And that's the only time that it would ever turn red. And there was no pedestrians there, which is why I totally blanked out on it, which I don't, I don't know if that would hold up if they were to give me a ticket. I think not having a license on my person would be bad. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to turn this into an anger fest like I did last week. Although, I, I, th I thank everybody who reached out to check on me. Oh, I, I got more reaction for that. It's not something that I'm necessarily trying to cultivate or anything. But uh, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for reaching out, making sure I was okay and not just having gone completely insane. I mean, I do have thoughts on things like, the militarization of police in the last 20 years, and I'm talking since the 9-11 attacks, basically leads to the creation of the Department of Homeland Security. And then all of a sudden you have these grants of military equipment given to police departments. And it's like, why the hell does Cedar Rapids, Iowa need this giant, you know, Humvee tank thing? How many meth labs can there possibly be? Well, it is Iowa, so probably a lot of them. But there, there would always be this thing where it's like, why is it not being directed to a place that would actually need it in practice? It would always just kind of be dispersed evenly as if every single area is the same. It's like the $1,200 stimulus check. The guy in Laramie, Wyoming, and the guy in Brooklyn, New York, who's struggling to make rent. And they each get $1,200. It's like, okay, that $1,200 in New York City ain't going to do a whole hell of a lot. But $1,200 in Wyoming might pay your rent for two months. Sorry, I haven't looked up the apartment listings out in Laramie anytime recently. But the other point that I want to make about the whole thing with the police, and this is where I think a lot of the anger stems from, is that there's never any consequences when stuff like this happens, particularly when the victim is black. When the victim is white and you had a situation in Minneapolis in 2017 where it was, I think it was a black cop and a white woman, and I think the cop went to jail for 12 years. And, you know, some right-wing meme dude was like, oh, how come nobody ever said anything about this? Like, yeah, they did at the time. They hauled the cop away and they put him in jail. 
problem is when the victim is black nothing ever seems to happen there's never any sort of consequences for this sort of thing and that's one thing that definitely needs to be addressed along with all the other systemic stuff that i can't even begin to get into so smoky mountain wrestling which provides i guess a mild distraction from this i'm just glad that the gangsters are gone from smoky mountain and we don't have any racial angles in smw although there is a vestige of the gangsters still in in the form of d'lo brown who is in the opening match on this show they're kind of a wwf developmental at this point in their final months not necessarily with their top guys because you got your dirty white boy you got your tracy smothers of course they would all turn up there but as enhancement guys who have jobs (laughs) Like, like literally and figuratively they would have vocations like tracy smothers is off freddie joe floyd and tl hopper you know he he went to the to, to vocational school and learned how to become a plumber and all that so there's a lot of guys in Smokey that you're going to see for years to come and in the form of glenn jacobs who we're going to see at least in a promo on this show uh, for decades to come going forward in fact you know it can even become the mayor of knoxville someday i'm not entirely sure the particulars of the wwf smoky mountain relationship financially but it's kind of easy to put two and two together where wrestling in the united states at this point in 1995 is kind of on a low ebb you got smoky mountain that they're struggling along they're going to go out of business before the end of the year the wwf is not having a good year financially either so the money is tight for them so what they decide is i don't know how much again i don't know how much financial assistance that they're providing smoky mountain wrestling other than the talent that's there i would assume that there's something but eventually they're they're going to say you know what money's tight here and we can't be sending it down there and they'll just sort of disregard the value that smoky mountain would have as developmental eventually ecw would sort of morph into that years later i'm thinking of how major league baseball wants to gut the minor leagues to save a few bucks never mind the fact that a team like the atlanta braves has almost 500 million dollars a year in revenues and God, God forbid you have a minor league system which exists at the grassroots level to get kids interested in baseball. You have all the mascots and all the little games and stuff. That's for the kids at minor league games. And minor league teams are a draw for kids to make them interested in the game. I don't mean to distract and just talk about that. Baseball, baseball, baseball. You want to have that place where guys can go and learn their craft alongside people who know what they're doing, veterans of the business. And wrestling isn't exactly like baseball, but you're not going to sign some, like there's nobody who comes out of the MLB draft and goes right to the major leagues. That happens so incredibly rarely. And the same with wrestling. You want somebody like a D'Lo Brown to be working with guys like Tracy Smothers, Dirty White Boy, and what have you. Of course, the following year, there would be the USWA. So I guess that there are other options. I mean, good old Memphis to the rescue once again. When I decided that I was going to do this show, I actually went back and watched the episode from the week before this. So July 22nd, it's all on the same taping, which July 6th at the high school in Jellicoe, Tennessee. 
and it looks like a very small building and this is three weeks of tapings they did and i probably should have gone back even one week further because there was a tag team title change on the 15th involving three teams it kind of a weird thing that was going on and i'll cover this a little bit later you had the thugs should be Tracy Smothers and the Dirty White Boy winning the tag team titles from Unibomb. That would be our good friend Glenn Jacobs and Al Snow. But they only got that title shot because the Rock and Roll Express were late arriving to the venue. Now, Ricky Morton had some weird stuff going on with Tracy Smothers. I'm going to save a little bit for later because I was scratching my head like, I never read about this before or, or knew about Ricky Morton. He, he actually gets fired. and But there's interesting stuff going on with the rock and rolls that I, I, I kind of wish that it did, he didn't get himself fired because it's totally bizarre circumstances that led to that. I'll obviously get into that a bit later. There are three matches on this show. We, we lead off with D'Lo Brown against Brad Armstrong. We're going to see... Tommy Rich, who is in here as a heel, good old wildfire, taking on Boo Bradley, who would go on to become Balls Mahoney in ECW, for those who are unaware. And in the final match, you have the Thugs taking on the Headbangers. Yet another example of guys that you'll see for years to come here in Smoky Mountain. And again, I did not know that the Headbangers were in Smoky at all and i've listened to podcasts about i listened to zellner on exile on bad street I, I don't know if he had bo james or whoever but they covered the whole smoky mountain wrestling this was probably about three four years ago now but it just never registered in my head oh yeah the headbangers were there at the very end are things perfect in this promotion oh far from perfect i'm not even talking about the finances of it the booking could be a little bit questionable they did some things that maybe in retrospect that they shouldn't have done but there's interesting things going on so it's not like not like i'm bored watching the show by by any stretch of the imagination and especially when you get something like buddy landau and Shawn michaels coming in for the big Super Bowl show on August 4th to face Buddy Landau, which was up in the air. Originally, it was Jeff Jarrett, but Jarrett lost the Intercontinental title at In Your House 2 to Shawn Michaels. And I think Shawn versus Buddy Landau is a better match anyway. And that's weird because that's me saying I would prefer to have Shawn Michaels in a match. I mean, you you know, like, okay, I, I am as biased against that guy as anything. On GFA Live the other day, I said that the ladder match at WrestleMania 10 should have been cut to two minutes in order to make room for the 10-man tag. Was I completely serious? Well, I'm not going to admit to anything. But do check out that GFA Live. I, we had a lot of fun talking about... <laughs> this is a laughing about it. Superstars from January 22nd, 1994 is the day of the Royal Rumble from that year. It's taped at the Lowell Memorial Auditorium. But I, I love the bit. We, we got to talking about We Are the World and USA for Africa. And we were doing a bit where Keithy was doing the Vince McMahon voice to read off the <laughs> names of all the people involved. A la Vince McMahon announcing people for the Royal Rumble. Lionel Richie, Diana Ross, or whoever the hell was in USA for Africa. I, I don't have the album up on the wall so okay reset back to smoky mountain wrestling 1995 so why don't i just get to it smoky mountain wrestling 
July 29th, 1995. It'll be the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, versus Buddy Landell at the Super Bowl. We'll hear from both. Brad Armstrong marches toward his USWA title shot, and the thugs do battle with those rude, crude headbangers. All this and more. Smoke about it, wrestling. I don't know what that thing was at the end where... Then again, I'm the guy who said greetings from out of town at the end of my show for three years now, and I don't know why I started doing that, and I don't know why that dude who's the announcer, our, our two hosts of Smoky Mountain Wrestling at this point are Les Thatcher and Chip Kessler. Usually associate Bob Cottle or Jim Ross announcing, or Dutch Mantel was in for a while with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, so it, it's nearing the end. None of those people are here anymore so why don't we just kick it off with my good pal D'Lo Brown taking on Brad Armstrong back-to-back weeks for D'Lo on Greetings from Allentown it's really nice I, I, I am definitely a fan of his now Brad Armstrong comes to the ring speaking of we are the world to born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen kind of odd hearing like commercial music like that on a show but i think smoky mountain at this point was basically like you know what if you're gonna come at us for copyright infringement we're just gonna go out of business anyway so it really doesn't matter not the last copyright infringement that i'll be talking about on this show that's for sure d-lo i alluded to his association with the gangsters as bob coddle would say in smoky mountain Eventually, this leads into his WWF deal where he's unnamed guy in the nation. But yes, he was the, he was working security for the gangsters, which you want to talk about a really busy and stressful job, working security for New Jack. I mean, that, that, that's got to be like 24 hours sort of deal where like you got to have your phone by your side and it's always got to be on and you've always got to be on at the same time. Now, Brad Armstrong returned to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Of course, he would bounce into WCW what seemed like random times as sort of a lower card guy, but here in Smoky Mountain because he's an Armstrong and he's the best of Bob Armstrong's sons as a professional wrestler. There's obviously a great deal of cachet there. He returned on the show that aired on June the 24th. And he's gunning for two different titles at once. They refer to the USWA title in that little intro, but he's also gunning for the Smoky Mountain Wrestling title, which at the moment, as the show airs, is vacant, but was held by Buddy Landell previously before it was held up in a match between the two. And he's going for the USWA regular title, so not the unified heavyweight title, which, oddly enough, is held by Billy Jack Haynes, which... Thinking of Billy Jack Haynes working somewhere in 1995 just seemed very, very odd to me for a variety of reasons. So D'Lo controls early. He's very, very young, just basic stuff. I believe he's only 22 years old at this point. And a very basic offense. Reversal of an Irish whip. He puts his head down. A cardinal mistake for a ring veteran. Speaking of which, that reminds me. There was a cardinal in my backyard the other day. I I always like... When the Cardinals show up in my yard, I got Cardinal, I got Robins, I had which was uh, the name of the Brooklyn Dodgers before they became the Dodgers back. I want to say around like 1915 time frame they were known as the Robins because their manager was named Robins. Anyway, I'm getting to the point here. So I have a Robins, I have Blue Jays, and I have Cardinals in my backyard. But oddly enough, never any Orioles. 
No, I never have any Orioles in my backyard. I'd really like to complete like the. I think they should be all put in the same division this year in baseball since nothing matters. Of course, there probably won't be a season. So D'Lo puts his head down, and uh, <laughs> Brad takes advantage, just hits a Russian leg sweep, and that finishes the match. <laughs> this thing's over, like, pretty much right as it started. Like, Jesus, this was fat. It, it was kind of like one of those Survivor Series finishes where, like, Bushwhacker Luke gets clotheslined, and that's how the pin happens. But, hey, you know, no big deal. I mean, Brad Armstrong is your number one contender to apparently – Two different titles so he goes over to the interview area to talk to Les Thatcher now Brad and I've talked about this previously that he's generally considered this cut up behind the scenes in the locker room by everybody who ever worked with Brad Armstrong oh he's a hilarious dude but for whatever reason could never translate it in front of the camera and you know I don't know if it was because he would freeze up or whatever or if he was just taught to do a promo a certain way and then just just sort of lack something so sometimes he could come off maybe a little bit bland but here in challenging Billy Jack Haynes he, he's not quite as bland as what you'd think of Brad Armstrong as being you know I gotta be careful and not think past Billy Jack Haynes he's a big bad man Billy Jack Haynes has got to be a tough man, otherwise he wouldn't be the USWA heavyweight champion. But I'm going to promise you one thing, and I've said this before, and I'm going to give you a guarantee because you got the Armstrong name on it. I'm going to take that USWA title from Billy Jack Haynes. And then, fire on the mountain, baby. Lightning's in the air, and there's gold in the hills, brother, and it's waiting for me there. The gold is that Smoky Mountain title, and that's what I'm after, and that's what I'm coming to get. I'm not saying you're going to be telling your grandkids about this Brad Armstrong promo from Smoky Mountain 95, but it's perfectly acceptable as a babyface. And if that could have translated out a little bit more, I don't know, I think part of it might have been that because he's the son of Bob Armstrong, and Bob Armstrong obviously is a better promo than really any of his kids, there might be an inherent pressure to being somebody's son like that, especially when you're in the region where he is, you know, a huge star. This Friday night, August 4th, The Undertaker and Paul Bear make their debut in Knoxville to face the Demon of Destruction, Unabom, in the Battle of the Giants. Let's hear these comments, then see both these huge men in action. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Indeed, this is where it all begins with The Undertaker and the man who would become Kane. You know, there'd be a few hurdles along the way, maybe even the puddles, kind of like the steeplechase that he had to jump over. But thinking about it, and I know I sort of addressed something similar with Triple H in The Undertaker on last week's Greetings from Allentown, but with Kane and The Undertaker, Glenn Jacobs and Mark Calloway, here are two guys whose characters, Kane and The Undertaker, are so totally intertwined over the last 23 years in the same company, and they're... I can't think of two professional wrestlers who are more linked over a greater period of time where, yes, they feuded. Yes, they've been tag team partners. There have been myriad storylines between the guys. Multiple WrestleMania matches, WrestleMania 20, WrestleMania 14. I mean, it's two guys. Yeah, you could say Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair. 
but it's not 23 years of it. I guess maybe you could stretch it out and be like, well, they made ahead of match at 79, and then in 2001, you know, the last days of WCW is part of that tag. But honestly, no, it, it it does not align the same way like Undertaker and Kane. Kane exists as a storyline and one one of the best storylines that they ever did with the Undertaker because it totally makes sense. But I'm gonna back it up a little bit here. This is the very beginning of all of that. <laughs> it's fast. I am fascinated by guys who would go on to have these feuds in the WWF who met up before that at some point in time, such as the Punisher, Mean Mark, whatever you want to call him, from Memphis with Lord Humongous, which was Sid Vicious under a hockey mask. I covered that back in episode 50 a couple of years ago. And I said, this is this is the first meeting between Glenn Jacobs, Unabom, as he's known, kind of an odd name, which I'll get into in a second, and The Undertaker, they bring in an Undertaker for the Super Bowl of Wrestling, which I can't believe that they got away with calling it that. I mean, that must be how low on the radar Smoky Mountain is. If you could evade the National Football League's trademark department, I mean, you're really accomplishing something special because the reason why there's you have to call everything the big game, which, by the way, the NFL tried to trademark the big game, and there was immediate opposition to that. But they protect their Super Bowl trademark so intensely because it's valuable to spot. It makes it more valuable to their sponsors. So anyway, they're they're going to meet up for the first time there, so August fourth, nineteen ninety five. They also meet up Undertaker and Isaac Isaac Yankum DDS on the January fifteenth, nineteen ninety six Raw. And the Isaac Yankum vignettes are already airing on WWF television. Those started, I guess, at the end of June, coming out of the King of the Ring with Lawler and the smelly foot and all, all that sort of stuff where he had to get his, his teeth fixed because of the stench or something from having his own foot shoved in his mouth. They also have a match on the December 22nd, 96 edition of Superstars, where Glenn Jacobs is now the fake Diesel, and he's facing The Undertaker in that one. So The Undertaker, yeah, he changed. He became uh, American badass, and then eventually comes back as the old Undertaker, prodded by Kane for WrestleMania 20. And yeah, there's various iterations, and Kane changed over the years as well. But those two guys are forever linked together like no other duo, I think, in the history of professional wrestling. Now, why you would name the character for the Unabomber, I don't quite get. For those of you who don't remember what the hell that was about, there was a guy named Ted Kaczynski who was a professor who hated technology, which I can't imagine if he would like look at Facebook and Twitter now. I don't, I don't want to rehash that rant, but like, hey, I was trying to warn you people when I sent those 13 bombs or whatever it was over two decades. Well, he got a little, uh, I'd, I'd say he got a little brash in the mid-90s where he wrote this long manifesto and it was published by the newspapers. You say, why the hell are you aiding and burying this terrorist by publishing his writings in the newspaper? And the, the reason for that is 
because somebody would be able to recognize perhaps his style of writing and then they could identify him and eventually find him and that's exactly what happened kind of like how they caught the guy the Zarnayev brother in Watertown because they ended the kind of shelter in place and the dude in Watertown went out back for a smoke and noticed that something was wrong with his boat and that was because the guy was hiding out in it he was also he had other gimmicks as well Glenn Jacobs even before this apparently in St. wrestling in St. Louis he was known as Angus King which is kind of weird to me because there's a governor of Maine named Angus King who was an independent which that's kind of the only reason why I actually remember him is he didn't belong to either political party it's also known as Doomsday that was probably his more common gimmick before becoming Unabom and in the USWA at the end of 1994, he was the Christmas Creature, which, you know, one of those sort of seasonal gimmicks. And he also made one appearance in World Championship Wrestling. So you say, well, did Glenn Jacobs ever wrestle in WCW? Yes, one match as Bruiser Mastino against Sting, which is out there on YouTube as well. He, he wrestled as Doomsday, though, in more places than any of those other ones, including in Puerto Rico where he had a feud with Invader Number 1. So a guy who was thought to have been murdered in a future storyline in the WWF by The Undertaker burning down the house, facing an actual murderer in Invader 1. Now this feels like a long time ago where Glenn Jacobs is this youngish wrestler. He turned 28 years old in 1995. He has a 1967 birthday, so he's 53 years old now. But even though he is the mayor of Knoxville, which along with it comes, you have to be able to be a public speaker, to be a politician, even, even at the mayoral level. He couldn't talk really in a wrestling sense. And, and that, that's par for the course for anybody who's about, about that amount of time in the business. Maybe he could talk a little, but when you got Jim Cornette there, and this was my critique of Smoky Mountain, the last episode that I did a couple of years ago, there's too much Jim Cornette all over the show. I know it's his playground, it's his territory, and he could do whatever he wants. But at this point in time, he has what was known as the militia, which was obviously an army of guys doing his bidding. But he's wearing the full regalia, including the helmet, which, honest to God, just makes him, more than anything else, look like Mike Dukakis in the tank that one time. This Friday night at the Super Bowl of Wrestling in Knoxville, the Undertaker and Paul Bearer make their auspicious Knoxville debut to battle the mighty demon of destruction, Unabom. Now, you know, we've thought and we've plotted and we've planned how can we get the Undertaker. Once a man's been dead and buried, there's not a lot you can do that concerns him. But Undertaker, I want you to feast your eyes on your opponent because while you come from the dark side, he was spawned in the valley of death. The mighty Unabom is the demon of destruction. He's undefeated in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He was there through the ages, chained slaves to their cages. The cycle of pain of a thousand year reign, suicide and salvation, the omen to nations, the infection and famine you fear. And Undertaker, when you lay down to sleep, your soul he will keep, so cross your heart before you die, Undertaker, again. Because Friday night, Unabom rules the dark side and you are cast into the dark side for pain, agony, misery, and torment for the rest of eternity, Undertaker. Rest in misery. Jim Cornette might be on here a little too often on the Smoky Mountain Wrestling programs that I've seen, 
but it's not necessarily a bad thing because what he has to say in the context is generally pretty good. It's not like it's Brian Blair giving three promos that just makes me want to drive my head into a wall and knock myself into some sort of unconsciousness. Paul Bearer and The Undertaker, they've sent in a promo as well. Paul Bearer is his usual self with the, oh yes, and the, the whole Megillah, basically. The Undertaker, what he says in this is kind of interesting to me. It almost feels like there's some sort of greater commentary about why he's there. Oh yes, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Knoxville, Tennessee, August the 4th, the Super Bowl of Wrestling, Jim Cornette, the last time we were in the area, I was standing next to you in the corner. This time, I'll be across the ring, and inside the ring will be my undertaker. Jim Cornette, you now exist only for one reason, because we let you exist. You do not fool anyone. You're a shallow soul. The aura that you present gives you away for miles and miles. And now you have this Unabomb. What I understand is a very promising young wrestler. Well, right in the prime of his life, you have thrown him to the lions. And understand this Unabomb. When you look into these eyes, you only look once. Your time is running out. It's like, I'm from the big bad WWF and you exist because we let you exist. It almost felt like some sort of weird commentary about the WWF Smoky Mountain relationship. Again, I don't know I don't know what the financial arrangement was between the companies, but clearly there's some sort of feeder system going on there. I don't think the Undertaker is working that in, but you know, oh you're you're gonna be seeing him for the last time. Oh <laughs> I love to go back in the time machine and like just talk to Mark Calloway. Of course, me and him have virtually nothing in common. But I just be like, "Hey, Mark, you, you think you're, this is the last time you're going to see this guy? You're, you're going to be seeing nothing but this guy for the next oh two and a half decades." just say and think whatever you want about you too i mean they've been increasingly irrelevant over the last 10 years to the point where itunes gave away an album on everybody's ipod and people revolted because they were like we don't want this but you cannot argue that that isn't a banger of a song hold me thrill me kiss me kill me which is on the charts this time in 1995 because it was on the batman forever soundtrack and even though I don't think I've ever watched that movie, now that I think of it, it just reminds me of the wonderful Batman Forever Burger at McDonald's, which is like my one positive memory of that place. I know Keithy and I talked about Batman Forever. Somehow it came up on GFA Live more recently. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, that might be the one thing that would get me to return to McDonald's is if they brought back that exact Batman Forever Burger. Like I, I would I would run to the store and get one of those and I would end my boycott. I probably should actually watch Batman movies. 
I mean, maybe not the more recent ones, but, you know, at least the ones from like the late 80s. I'll have to see if they're streaming anywhere. It might be. So anyway, there, there's Batman, and then there's the Wolfman here in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And his superpower is apparently losing matches. Because that, that, is, that is what he does. He, he is what he looks like. But he's basically a pure jobber. It's it's kind of funny that, you know, you think, oh, he's the wolf man. He's at least mid-card, right? Like, no, no, he's just a complete jobber. He doesn't win any matches in Smoky Mountain until they get really close to the end. So he's out there with Les Thatcher and Bob Armstrong. And they have, beyond the Super Bowl of Wrestling, the Fire on the Mountain show on August the 12th. So the following week, there is... A dream match scenario where they had a drawing and each guy could you know name a dream match either for himself or for somebody else and what Wolfman wanted was a first blood match between him and Jim Cornette so interesting choice by him but he apparently got injured in some form or fashion I'm, I'm just thinking of him as a spinal tap drummer a bizarre gardening accident some years back it's really one of those things it was you know the authorities said you know best leave it unsolved really so let's take it at face value that the wolf man got hurt at some point or another this taping as i said earlier was on july 6th he wrestled on july 18th and then is off for a while so i can assume maybe that he got hurt then and they inserted this section into the week's tv or perhaps they're trying to juice something for this show because I'm not sure how popular the Wolfman is. I, I don't think he was going to sell a lot of tickets. So what you're going to do is you're going to go back to what's kind of become your old standby. Well, I got terrible news, especially for the fans in Johnson City. You know, uh, the Wolfman had won his dream match, was a first blood match against Jim Cornette. That's the man who draws first blood, wins a match. It could right. go a long time, it could go a short time, so somebody needs stitches. But Wolfman, in training, has uh, wounded his posterior giblet, and he's not going to be able to wrestle him at, at uh, Johnson City. So being the commissioner, I've got to appoint somebody. I look down, everybody's on contract. Everybody's on, already on the card in Johnson City. So I'm going to have to name his replacement right now, and his replacement is me. You? And I just can't wait. It's me. But first blood match, exactly you and Jim right. Cornette? That's right. He's got a restraining order. But that that was only on matches contracted. This is a substitute theory. I am the substitute on this match. It sounds great until you consider, and I'm no great historian of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but what I do know is that they went to this Bob Armstrong versus Jim Cornette thing an awful lot of times. And when you're in year four at this point, you kind of get sick and tired of the same stuff over and over again happening especially when it's in its fourth year wink wink it's kind of like Dolph Ziggler versus The Miz except that <laughs> Dolph Ziggler is horrible and Bob Armstrong and Jim, Jim Cornette neither one of them is quite at, at Ziggler so my, my point is that you know Dolph Ziggler versus The Miz is done over and over again and you know you kind of get diminishing returns but one thing you do get with the way you're announcing it and i guess they kind of crammed it in to make sense like well we had to substitute somebody and your restraining order against me to keep bob armstrong away from jim Cornette. this is one way of him insert bob armstrong inserting himself into this again but 
the best part of it is you know Jim Cornette is going to have some sort of reaction to this. And the way he reacts, <laughs> you would think that somebody like strapped him to a chair, tied his eyes open like it was like the clockwork orange thing, and made him watch a tag team match with the Young Bucks against Joey Ryan and Joey Janela in a 60-minute <laughs> Ironman match. What are you trying to pull, huh? What are you trying to do? You and me in a first blood match? You've got to be out of your mind. It was supposed to be with this no-good jabroni over here. Well, he's injured. If he's injured, he can't do it. I'm going to have to do it, Jimsy. I'm real sorry, but I'm going to have to do it. Who ever heard of a posterior giblet or whatever he's spraying? You're just trying to you're just trying to get me out your first blood match, not only a wrestling match, but a first blood match where somebody's gotta get busted open. You try to kill me or what? That's exactly right. I, maybe I am trying to. I can't help it. It's gonna be me and you first blood, like it or love it. It's me and you, brother. Hey, I got an idea. You've been searching, you've been plotting, you've been planning, trying to figure out a way to get back in the ring, trying to figure out a way to get back at me or my men. And now you're doing all this horn swoggling and corn pone contract maneuvering. You want to do it straight up, huh? You want to do it straight up Friday night at the Super Bowl in Knoxville? You want to get in the ring one-on-one -on -one with the Punisher, huh? Do you want to do that? Because if you do, then I won't have to worry about the first blood match because you ain't going to make it to Johnson City on the 12th. Get in the ring with the Punisher unless you're a chicken, no-good, yellow-bellied coward. Well, let me tell you this. I'll take your man on. I'll take him on in Knoxville at the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you this. The only chicken around here is you. You're the biggest chicken of them all, and you're about to get plucked. I think I have it in my head that Bob Armstrong is this outsized figure in Smoky Mountain and never loses for whatever reason. But the funny thing is, he lost both of those matches. He lost to the Punisher at the Super Bowl of Wrestling. Now you're wondering, so who, who is the Punisher? Because there's been various guys by that name. That guy grew up to be Bull Buchanan. Wow! And now you know the rest of the story. Well, that, and he also lost the first blood match to Cornette, which I'm perfectly fine with, considering my memories of Jim Cornette bleeding is him getting a gusher when the original Midnight Express ran in back in 88 and bleeding all over a white suit. I don't know if I want to see that again necessarily. Actually, I kind of do. I should probably get back and cover that show. Boo Bradley, you think you're going to get even with these men by bringing in the Mongolian stuffer? I got news for you. You can't win this fight if you go out and bring in the UN peacekeeping forces, right, Terry? That's right. You know, Mongolian stoper, you're crazy. You're stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Mongolian stoper, you are stupid, boy, to even want to step up in the ring with us. Gotta admit, not really that crazy about Terry Gordy talking in the year 1995, which is after his stroke. And you can kind of tell that things aren't necessarily working properly up there. I think he says stupid three times in three sentences. <laughs> like, you can expand your vocabulary a little bit, you know. I kind of judge people who don't use, like... If, if you're just going to repeat the same word over and over again, that, that just bothers me. I'm, I'm not going to call you stupid, per se... But there's that word again. But you know, try get a get a freaking thesaurus or something. Maybe somebody could have invested in that. So before that, they had shown a hype video for the Mongolian Stomper, and he's coming in once again to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where you're kind of in off and on throughout its history. The team with Boo Bradley against the Militia, the team of Terry Gordy and Tommy Rich. 
Now, Mongolian stopper Archie Goldie is born in 1936, so he's 59 years old at this point. And yeah, yeah, there's a certain reliance in Smoky Mountain on the legends of the territory. I mean, the fire on the mountain is a tribute to Ron Wright, and you're trying to sell tickets that way. And you're bringing in this 59-year-old guy here, which I think I referred to this last week, the same age that Ric Flair was when WWE said, all right, enough, Ric Flair. You're going to have to do a retirement match at WrestleMania 24, and that's going to be it. We're not going to use you in ring again. But I think sometimes Smoky Mountain... You know, in their in their slow periods, they, they might have been desperate for this sort of thing, but it's also a catch twenty two because there's not a lot of money floating around in pro wrestling at this point. So let's say that they strike gold and they are able to create a new star. Let's say they have Flex Cavana, who's in the USWA the next year, and for whatever reason he's able to develop that rock persona. Do you think he would have been in Smoky Mountain Wrestling more than half a second? That's the catch-22. If they create a big star, then immediately it would get scooped up by either the WWF or WCW, where they would make more money. But you 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 got you have to create something because if you're just going to rely on the past over and over again, you're going to get stuck in a situation like what WWE seems to be in. Although, of course, they're having a very successful year financially, don't you know? Because they get that TV money that they don't have to put out for running shows or, you know, there's no crowd there. But it's not like gate attendance means anything to them at this point. So, I, I don't know. I, I think Cornette was a little dumb letting Terry Gordy actually talk when he was just not the same after the stroke that he had a couple of years before this. That's exactly right. They're a bunch of mental defectives, Tommy. You know what it amounts to? You got beauty and you got the beast. And right there's the brains. Boo-boo, you ain't got enough to blow your nose, brother. Just like the rest of these stinking rednecks. And who you gonna bring down? Everybody knows him in Knoxville. The Mongolian stomper. Now you put them two together, what do you got? I don't you know. You got the blind leading the blind, ain't you, Mr. <laughs> I don't think it was all that funny and worthy of that kind of laughter, but at least we can isolate it and maybe line it up with one of the Vince McMahon laughs. We could create like a full studio audience laugh track. <laughs> a lot of the laugh tracks that you would hear over and over again on sitcoms in the 70s and the 80s that didn't have a live studio audience and relied on the canned laughter. A lot of it was derived from the same thing, and it all dated to the 1950s, so it was a couple of decades old. So you could be hearing the laughter of people who had died. Anyway, with on that depressing note, why don't we go into the next match? Boo Bradley taking on Tommy Rich. I had mentioned that Boo Bradley goes on to become Balls Mahoney, but every time they'd say the name Boo Bradley in Smoky Mountain, I keep wanting to say Boo Radley because of the character from To Kill a Mockingbird, a mentally challenged dude who is a bit of a recluse, and one of those like urban legend guys in a, a town that you know the kids would make up stories about, like the, these wild and crazy urban myths, I guess. I mean, we had one in 
in the city where I grew up, you'd always see him walking around. He was known as Smiling Jack, although he had a more derisive nickname, which I can't repeat amongst the kids in the playground who kind of knew who he was, where maybe not everything was working properly upstairs. But that's sort of the character that Boo Bradley had. He had a cat at one point, which was killed by Chris Candido and Tammy at a certain point. So kind of like almost like the character who wants to tend the rabbits in of mice and men, Lenny, and then well, I don't I don't want to give away of mice and men in case anybody's got a freshman reading class. I hope that nobody under the ninth grade is actually listening to the show, especially after last week. So Rich gets tossed down in a lockup by Bradley, who is a much bigger man. But then they do a crisscross, and it becomes clear that this is something of a quasi-comedy match as they go into the crisscross spot. The problem that you always have when you're watching this is like, all right, you got two guys like running back and forth like that. Like, How, how do you decide like w- which guy is going to drop down or whatever? Bradley just kind of bails out of the ring and takes a seat in the crowd while Rich just kind of kept running the ropes which actually was kind of funny, just the visual of it. If anything, though, the Boo Bradley character reminds me not so much of the character from To Kill a Mockingbird, but of 1988 Rick Steiner. There's a lot of that in that gimmick. And surely, of course, Jim Cornette was a big part of Jim Crockett Promotions at that time. I, I don't know if it was necessarily on purpose, but they have similar style gear, except Bradley is not wearing the ear guard that like an amateur wrestler would wear that Rick Steiner is kind of famous for. The test of strength is offered up, but when Rich would put up his left hand, Boo Bradley would put up his left hand and they could they could never get it right and he, he just kind of keeps screwing with Tommy Rich in that way who, who gets sick of this shit and just goes to the eyes and hits a back suplex to let all Japan know that he's he's ready to come back for a fourth round <laughs> working there because yes Tommy Rich was in all Japan in 83 87 and 88 it's been a number of years at this point and I'm not sure how much of a fit 1995 Tommy Rich would have been in all Japan probably not a good one but hey you know he's ready willing and able well maybe not so able although this run in Smoky Mountain doesn't look too bad from the footage that I've seen he hits a forearm off an Irish whip or, or a punch I couldn't quite tell what it was and then he starts choking Boo Bradley with the tape as referee Brian Hillebrand is distracted by Cornette on the outside yes Brian Hillebrand is the referee for pretty much all of these matches and he just looks tr- a tremendous mane of hair like much more than what he would have as mark curtis in wcw and he's also wearing suspenders too which i i think really looks good on him i know i made fun of the whole shirt and suspenders look but he's not wearing like a t-shirt in suspenders that's 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 the difference as now a, a, a cross corner whip and Tommy Rich puts his head down a cardinal mistake for a longtime veteran but when Boo Bradley tries to follow it up he misses on the SD Jones memorial charge which haven't had one of those for a while so just to remind you that is when the person who is more likely to lose the match does that fruitless charge into the corner and gets nothing but turnbuckle and but now 
Rich tries to send Bradley's head into the turnbuckle, but that that's not going to work. He didn't do his homework because the stupid it doesn't work on on stupid men, I guess. So he duck off an Irish whip. Bradley hits a super kick, and then Rich ends up outside somehow. They try Bradley tries to suplex him, vertical suplex back in, but the Punisher, who's out there along with Jim Cornette, trips. Bradley on the suplex try back in the ring doesn't hold down the leg like Bobby Heenan at WrestleMania 5 but that is enough for Tommy Rich who lands on top to pick up the one two three so Punisher and Rich and now Terry Gordy joins in as well they gang up on Boo Bradley just to kind of just kind of be dicks about the whole thing and a couple of Armstrongs run in there and make the save. But what's interesting is Punisher is not backing down. He's not backing down from Bob Armstrong. So you're kind of planting that seed where here's this new unstoppable monster. Let's think Zeus at that Saturday night's main event when Hogan hits him with the chair and just kind of stands up to it. Except on a much lower level and hardly anybody would in fact remember this will be made in the Knoxville Civic Coliseum on Friday, August 4th, as Smoky Mountain Wrestling presents the Super Bowl of Wrestling. For the first time anywhere, titles from every major wrestling federation in the United States will be defended on one event. It's something of a Pro Wrestling USA vibe where you have all these different places coming in for sort of, I don't want to say a joint show, because in, in that case, you might have WWF versus WWF guys and just, you know, have that sort of thing. But you have Buddy Landell challenging Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title. And you have these other titles up for grabs. Of course, the risk you run with that is, well, these people are not necessarily attached to Smoky Mountains. So perhaps a chance of no shows? I don't know. As they run down the card, might be worthwhile to see how many of these matches did happen, or did the match that they advertise here a couple of weeks out, actually one week out, did it did it actually happen as they said? Matches already signed to take place include the former World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champs Rick and Scott, the Steiner Brothers take on the Rude Crude Headbangers Thrasher and Mosh. Yeah, that one did not happen, which is too bad because I love the Steiners just like everybody else in the very early 90s and them throwing guys around with suplexes and the Frankensteiner. But I was also a fan of the Headbangers in their 97 WWF run. I, I, I rather enjoyed them during that time period. So it would have been interesting to me. I don't know. I'd need a time machine because I don't, I don't know how much I would have liked the Headbangers in real time in 1995. Instead of the Steiner brothers, the Headbangers took on the team of Flash Flanagan and Chris Michaels, which, no disrespect to those two guys, but Rick and Scott Steiner, they ain't. The Midwest heavyweight title will be on the line as champion Marty Jannetty defends against simply sensational Al Snow. That match did end up happening, which is interesting because they would combine to form the New Rockers in WWF the following year. Sal Snow would have to be known as Leaf Cassidy. I kind of thought to myself before I looked it up, Marty Jannetty probably no-showed or something like that, but I'm, I'm convinced. And I tweeted out a similar joke on my Twitter earlier in the week. <laughs> they they got Marty to come to Knoxville by saying, if, if you come to the, to the event, we guarantee we'll have snow for you. And he thought that that meant something completely different. USWA tag team title is up for grabs as PG-13 defends against Steve Armstrong and Jackie Fulton. 
There was no Steve Armstrong on that day. He was replaced by Curtis Thompson. And before you laugh at that notion, Curtis Thompson, need I remind you, was Firebreaker Chip, which makes him a former United States Tag Team Champion in WCW. The upset kid, Bobby Blaze, challenges the ultimate fighting champion, Dan Severin. That match also happened. Dan Severin beat Blaze in about four minutes. This is at the very beginning of that long NWA title run that Severn had in the late 90s. I think it was about four years. Just added fans for the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Title, the Rock and Roll Express battle Tracy Smothers and the Dirty White Boy. Close friends or bitter rivals? We'll find out at the Super Bowl. That match did not happen, and I teased this a bit earlier about Ricky Morton getting fired under just truly bizarre circumstances that I didn't know about until I did this show. I mean, I would have just assumed that he was in Smoky Mountain all the way to the end because he does return once things get settled. But this story with him and Tracy Smothers and involving... The girlfriends and the wives is just utter, utterly insane. I mean, I, ha I have to read this from the Reddit Observer News recap of the time because I want to make sure I get this right and just to make sure that my, my head is on straight as I go through this. Ricky Morton has been fired from both SMW and USWA, stemming from an incident involving Morton, his girlfriend, Andrea Calloway, Tracy Smothers, and Smothers' wife, Angela. This gets a little confusing, so bear with me. After an SMW show last month, the four of them went to a club and Morton and his girlfriend got into an argument. She began hitting Morton, who covered up and didn't hit back. When Smothers tried to break it up, Morton's girlfriend attacked Smothers, which led to Smothers' wife fighting the girlfriend. Callaway later fired, filed an assault charge, saying she was attacked by both Smothers and his wife, although pretty much everyone else involved says Smothers never hit anyone. Over the, okay, we're, we're straight now. Over the next few weeks, several more incidents took place. Oh boy, Morton no-showed an SMW event and got into a backstage fight with Smothers at another one. Okay, that's, that's escalating things. Jim Cornette and USWA promoter Randy Hales have both been trying to talk to Morton to get his girlfriend to drop the charges, but his girlfriend, that would be Andrea Calloway, refused, and it led Smothers and his girlfriend both being arrested on charges of assaulting Andrea Calloway. Because both Morton and Smothers were being used in both companies, and since both promotions felt Smothers was an innocent victim caught in the middle... Both SMW and USWA made a decision to release Ricky Morton because the two men can't coexist in the same locker room together. Even though Morton didn't really do anything wrong either, his girlfriend is the one who won't drop the charges, and since Morton can't seem to convince her to let it go, they decided to just cut ties with him. Which is a shame because they are pushing the rock and rolls where it looks like they are heading to, towards heel territory, which would be a really fresh look for them. And long overdue, I might add. And we're not talking about any of this Richard Morton, York Foundation nonsense. We're talking about a heel, Ricky, and Robert, which would have been interesting to see years before. But at, at least they were going to try it. But that whole thing happens, and the whole thing gets derailed. The rock and rolls get replaced by the heavenly bodies. So you get a kind of more traditional heel versus babyface match in that one. We actually do, though, get a little bit of a taste of what the Rock and Rolls might sound like going full heel because we're going to hear from them 
a little bit later on. Front row, ringside VIP tickets are $25 each and entitle the bear to a front row seat. Early admission at 6 p.m. for a Meet the Stars autograph party with free Mrs. Winter's chicken, biscuits, side dishes, and drinks. And waitress service during the event by the girls of Hooters. Boobs. 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 I know business was down for Smoky Mountain in 1995, but now I'm asking myself why after hearing that. Front row seats for 25 bucks, and you get free food, chicken and biscuits, by the way. And, th- and this is in Tennessee. This is not like, you know, Maine chicken and biscuits. We're, we're, we're talking the good, authentic stuff. And waitress service from Hooters. I mean, chicken, beer, and boobs. I mean, what the hell else do you want, people? How'd you let this promotion go under? It's only $25. You mortgage your shack or, or something. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. But now we're at the point of the show where this is why we're here with like i said at the beginning i've been doing a lot of promo shows and dusty austin and buddy landell who may not stand out for kind of a you know casual fan buddy landell they they might remember him as the guy who was called buddy rydell by that idiot ring announcer in wwf back in 95 when i think he was making his debut but yes, this is all leading up to Shawn Michaels against Buddy Landell, and I watched a chunk of this match, and it, it was it was a pretty good match. I mean, Buddy Buddy Landell could certainly work. He could certainly talk. I mean, hell, for God's sakes! Like I said, it's the whole reason why we're here. But first, we got to hear from Shawn Michaels reporting in from his ivory tower up in Stamford, Connecticut. Yes, he said in a promo, and luckily for us, you know, we get some of those Shawn Michaels-isms that we've become accustomed to. Well, Knoxville, now you know why. Confidence is my middle name. You know something, Buddy Landell? Ten long years ago, you were a somebody. And the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, well, he was a nobody. Two years ago, you became a nobody. And I became, ooh, such a big somebody. And now you are finally climbing your way back up. And you've got that scrawny Jim Cornette in your corner. You know something? I understand now that Knoxville, Tennessee is your hometown. And you're hoping to take the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship from the Heartbreak Kid. Now, I know you're going to have a lot of family, a lot of friends there. Who knows? They may be cheering you. (laughs) I don't think so. Buddy Landell, you better keep your eye on Jim Cornette. I know I'm going to be keeping my eye on Jim Cornette. One eye on him, one eye on you. Buddy Landell, you used to be something, you were nothing, now you're climbing your way back up. I got news for you. I'm a somebody, I'm staying a somebody, and I'll always be a somebody. You, my friend, are getting knocked back into Nowheresville, and you're doing it courtesy of the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels, the World Wrestling Federation's Intercontinental Champion. Look, if you've listened to this program for a while, you understand that I have this great dislike for Shawn Michaels on a number of different levels. But in listening to what he said there, which I think was a pretty good promo, you know, for something that you're sending in, you're the visiting dignitary, you're the champion from somewhere else, nothing he said there was false. He was a cruel man, but fair. 
I mean, let's break it down using that 10-year time frame that Shawn Michaels was talking about. 1985, Buddy Landell is the national champion in Jim Crockett Promotions. He's on TBS every week. He's being lined up to feud with Ric Flair. They played videos of him being bored by watching Ric Flair tapes, sitting alongside J.J. Dillon, which makes the whole thing really weird because of J.J.'s later association with Ric Flair. Meanwhile, Shawn Michaels, as you can see on the well, I was going to say award-winning WWE Network. That was a long time ago, and quite frankly, I don't, I don't care for it much now. And Shawn Michaels, in 1985, is doing jobs in Mid-South Wrestling, where Buddy Lindell also turned up around that time. And he, he's just a bottom-of-the-card kind of guy. And then he rises up to become this big star in the WWF. He lands there three years after this. You could even say the AWA time with Marty in the Midnight Rocker. So it's not long before he starts his meteoric rise. And meanwhile, Buddy Landell is you know, going in and out of places, in part due to his own destructive inner demons because of drugs, because of alcoholism, or what have you. Whatever reasons, he would end up getting fired from places or no-show. No-show Budrow was his nickname. They play a Shawn Michaels highlight package set to the Pat Benatar song, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. I'm sure that they didn't get permission for that sort of thing. And listening to the lyrics and trying to apply it to Shawn Michaels, you're a real tough cookie? Well, I don't know about that. I think there's one Marine in Syracuse a couple of months after this that kind of proved it wrong. But Breaking Hearts, okay, I guess that line is why they might have chosen that song. So I will concede that. But most of the highlight video is Sean against the Brooklyn Brawler and Sean against Rad Radford. Yeah, there's some ladder match footage from WrestleMania 10 thrown in, but most, most of it is facing Lombardi and Spicoli, which is kind of funny to me. But Buddy Landell is going to get the last word, and, and Jim Cornette is there as well, still in the ridiculous military garb with the helmet that kind of makes you know his head look like a penis just just the way that it looks now buddy what's interesting here is he's wearing he's wearing a suit and a tie maybe maybe not the, it's more actually more of a sport jacket than a suit because I, I don't think he's wearing matching pants Landell, he looks pensive he looks like a guy who has something on his mind but Cornette's gonna go first and Jim Cornette has never been accused of being uncomfortable in terms of letting his feelings be known. Let me say one thing to Shawn Michaels. You may be the heartbreak kid now, but you're going to be the heartbroken kid after Friday night, August the 4th in Knoxville, because the biggest night in Smoky Mountain Wrestling history is going to be the biggest night in Jim Cornette and Buddy Landell's life because he's going to be the new World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, and I'm not even going to have to interfere in that match. No, I won't. You won't? No, I won't. Absolutely not. That's right, Jimmy. You're not going to interfere. I'm not? No, you're not. So here's Buddy Landell, a classic heel in Smoky Mountain Wrestling for as long as he's been there and pretty much almost all the places that he's been during his career. I mean, he's kind of a natural at that. But now he's telling his manager, Jim Cornette, that no, you are not going to interfere in this match, which strikes you as a little bit strange. Like, I wonder what he's getting at. And I wonder if maybe this has something to do with the kind of odd look on his face where he looked nervous or he had definitely something on his mind. Like he has something to unburden himself with. And unburden himself he did with just an unbelievable promo that is about 
really about life. And I'll tell you why. Number one, I'm very glad to hear Shawn Michaels' comments regarding the career of Buddy Landell that he finds so important to remember. But let me give you a brief little autobiography of Buddy Landell. You see, I've spent my whole career saying that I was from here, from there, but the truth is this. I was born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. Growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, I grew up on Ron Wright. I've been a wrestling fan all of my life. And at the tender age of 17, I quit after my football career at Fulton High School my junior year and started a professional wrestling career. And it took me five or six long years to get to the top. But by the time that I was 23 years old, I was wrestling the nature boy Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight Belt. A lot of people said that I was to be the next World Heavyweight Champion. The only problem was this. By that time, I had been introduced to drugs and alcohol. And the truth of the matter is this. I was an alcoholic and I was a drug addict. And I was in denial. Drugs and alcohol cost me that career, a million dollar career. By the 1985, by 1985, I was fired from that position as a national heavyweight champion, the number one contender for the world heavyweight belt. And I've spent these last 10 years aimlessly wandering around professional wrestling like the magazines say, a vagabond, a gypsy, being hired and fired by every promotion, being in denial about drugs and alcohol. And up till a year ago, I had become my own worst enemy. I had to look at my wife and my children and my family every day and drive up and down the road where everybody else was flying in jets and limousines. I was driving with the nobodies. And by this time, drugs and alcohol had taken my life. I'd even thought about suicide. But then I come to a point to where I needed help and I got down on my knees and I asked God Almighty to help me. And help me he did. You see, I was tired of looking at myself in the mirror saying, will I ever measure up to what I used to be? And a year ago, I came back into professional wrestling weighing 260 pounds. I defeated my own worst enemy a year ago. That was Buddy Landell. Now, this last year being in professional wrestling, I've lost all my weight. I'm back on top. I've beat everybody in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And proud to be in Smoky Mountain Wrestling on top of that. But see, because Smoky Mountain Wrestling is affiliated with the WWF. And the Smoky Mountain title is so prestigious that it gets a chance to have the WWF Intercontinental title on August the 4th in Knoxville, Tennessee. A match with the Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Shawn Michaels, I'm going to tell you something. I've been up and down since I turned 17. I've been on top and seen my wildest dreams. I've got it back and I'm feeling better every day. And I tell all them pencil pushers to stay out of my way. You know, Chip, a lot of people, this is the big deal about Buddy Landell. I got dozens of friends and the fun never ends. That's as long as I'm buying. When the money ran out, that's when the people left me. Oh, everybody wanted to be on the Buddy Landell bandwagon until the money ran out. God forgave me. My family forgave me. And everybody in Knoxville, Tennessee knows Buddy Landell is a home-cooking, hometown boy. I love Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm proud of it. But I, Friday night, August the 4th, Shawn Michaels, I'm telling you something, I'm in the best shape of my career. I'm 33 years old. I have held more wrestling titles than the years you are old, son. I'm not taking nothing away from you. Voted the sexiest man in wrestling, that's great. 
Friday night, August the 4th, brother, Super Bowl of Champions, I want you to come in tip-top shape because I'm promising everybody in my hometown where it all began that I'm going to become the WWF Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. Bank on it. I've said through this show that I am not a Smoky Mountain Wrestling historian by any means, but seeing this promo shouted out on Twitter, and I can't believe that I didn't have this in my queue anyway of shows to do. I mean, I guess I wasn't aware of this promo and just how incredible it is in terms of its honesty. And he's he's talking for over four consecutive minutes going on like this in what is very much like an out-of-character interview. He's a classic heel, but it's kind of an odd situation where you have this visiting guy from the WWF coming in, he's taking on a heel in the territory who is a local boy as well, as he's talking about. But holy crap, and you could you could take inspiration from what Buddy Landell is saying and apply it to just about anything. In life, it's never too late to make amends for things, to change yourself. Whether it be you treated somebody else poorly in the past and you want to make amends for that, or if you feel bad about a political position you held or voted for a politician in the past that, yeah, you might regret doing that now, but you feel, oh, well, I should just dig in. Well, no, I mean, you can... We have to change. We have to evolve as human beings. It's all part of this greater journey. You have to, you want to do right by not only other people and society at large, you know, be good to each other and all that, but you have to do right by yourself as well. And Buddy Landell finally, you know, he has that moment where he realizes that, okay, now I I have to fix things. Because everybody's my friend until, you know, I'm not buying the drinks anymore. That little anecdote there kind of drives it home where, yeah, when you're riding on top, it's easy to have a lot of friends. It has to do when you're not going so good, who you who are your friends that you can count on at that point? And there's a lot of different things you can take away from that remarkable four-minute promo in what is admittedly a dying wrestling promotion but it's little gems like that that may you know kind of keep me doing this podcast i've mentioned i'm not particularly thrilled with the wrestling world at large these days i mean probably because you know you go on twitter and wrestling twitter is often a horrible cesspool and by the way people who can change themselves uh, i don't know if you've seen tammy sitch the other day uh, basically shouting out the, well, hashtag white power. Like, really? You've decided to do that now? I mean, get get some help. I mean, I would say get some help for yourself. But, you know, tried and tried with her. But, again, anybody can be redeemed if, you know, you work hard enough at it. I, I, truly, I truly believe that. But shocked and stunned when longtime friends, the Rock and Roll Express and the Thugs signed the meet for the tag team title at the Super Bowl of Wrestling. Let's go back and see just how this took place. 
And now we've finally arrived at the peculiar situation involving the Rock and Roll Express and the thugs made up of the Dirty Right Boy Tony Anthony and Tracy Smothers. I know I spent the whole last segment turning into Rocky at the end of Rocky IV. If you could change, if he could change, anybody could change in, in terms of becoming a better person. And yet, for the next five minutes or so, I'm going to be completely fascinated by the Rock and Roll Express healing out and generally acting like dicks. Because as I mentioned, the Thugs got the title shot because the Rock and Roll Express showed up late. They didn't get there in time, whatever it was. And sure enough, Smothers and Dirty White Boy end up winning it. But now the Rock and Rolls want the title shot, so they have been granted that. But it's just unbelievably fascinating to hear the Rock and Rolls in this role that they're playing now. Because you're just not used to hearing that. And you also want to make sure what, what the ratio is, as I've talked about. The Ricky Morton to Robert Gibson promo ratio, wherein you want to have, yeah, you want to let Robert Gibson say something, but you don't want him to say too much. You want Ricky to do most of the talking. So you can, it's almost like a scale that I've not yet defined where Ricky talks three times as much as Robert Gibson. That means one thing. If it's seven times as much, well, maybe Ricky's priming up for a singles run. I don't know what it means, but it, this whole thing just fascinates me. We deserve that title match. That's what we wanted. Now the Thugs are the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions. That means if they beat Unabom and him, Robert and I would have beat them right here. We'd be the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions and had a little payback. So, you're saying, so what you're saying is because uh, the Thugs won the match, yeah. that you would have wanted it if it's cut and dried that way. Hey, well, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on just a second. Just because we, we beat them, doesn't necessarily mean that you two could have oh, beat Oh, is that so, huh? That's exactly oh, so. Oh, that's so. Right, yeah. Well, you guys come out here the first chance you get. When we had a title match, you know what all we've been through. What are you going to do? Oh, we thought you was our friends. What, are you going to stab us in the back? No, huh? no, wait a minute, Ricky. Huh? It wasn't like that at all, man. You know, hey, no, no. Preparation meets opportunity. You guys were 30 minutes late. We, what were we supposed to do, man? Turn the title shot well, wait, down? Chris, hey, you know man. what's been going on with us, like man? Huh? I know what's been going on with y'all, but we got the chance, and we took that opportunity. Man, we're the champions. Yeah, but that opportunity belonged to me and Robert. That, that opportunity is simple. You should have been here. It was well, your opportunity. What he's trying to say is that should be our belts. You want to just settle it, gentlemen? Yeah, let's settle it. All right. Why don't I take this pencil right here? and write Super Bowl on it and give you a title shot at Super Bowl in Knoxville. Then you can have it, do whatever you want with it. We'll defend the title. Is that all right with your team? That's all right with me, let me tell you that. Is that all right with your team? That's fine with us. Are you sure that's all right with you? Yeah, buddy, because a monkey knows what tree to climb, buddy. Well, hey, this is the wrong tree. This is the wrong tree. The ratio seems pretty high, but I am so here and I am so ready for heel Ricky Morton at this particular point in time. The heel Rock and Roll Express, that, that's the card to play. It should have been played, I think, sooner than this. It's just too late for this sort of thing to be happening. And because Ricky gets fired for all the convoluted reasons that I went into earlier, it ends up being Robert Gibson by himself, and that that's just that's just not the shame. Not the same. It's a, it's a shame that they didn't go heel back in 1988 in JCP because that would have been interesting. Of course, a lot of people should have flipped and gone heel. In 88, Jim Crockett, I'm thinking Dusty Rhodes as well, have a reunion heel run with Dick Murdoch as the Texas Rednecks. That that would have been pretty fun. Of course, as somebody who's covered a lot of 1988 JCP shows, it's not like I, I mean, at least earlier in the year, it's pretty good. I have, you know, not much in the way of complaints. 
Then again, I should also remember that Ricky Morton refused to get his hair cut by the sheep herders and robbed us of a hair angle. So maybe I'm a little bit bitter about that. All things considered, though, I mean, he, he, he needed to update the hairstyle at a certain point. I mean, he, he kind of had the same hair for over a decade. I mean, he, even make like one little subtle change to it. That would have been good. So why don't we just go into our last match here, which is the Headbangers, future WWF Tag Team Champions, uh, two years hence against the Thugs. Now, Thug is a loaded term when used in a very specific way. I know that this has been in the news recently, and I'm not going to make any sort of grand political statement about it. But there are certain words that are like that. For example, the, the R word, that's not something to be used in polite conversation these days, even though it has other applications. Like if you're saying uh, economic regulations can retard growth of companies, you know, battling the red tape of those regulations. Well, that's one way of saying it, but of course there's other ways of saying the exact same thing. Don't, like, don't call somebody that word. We evolve over time as a society, and we have norms that change over time as well. So anyway, now, now that I've gotten that out of the way, Chip and Les, I haven't really gone back to them with their commentary in this one, but they decide to have a little fun with what the headbangers wear, which they, they, they would wear these in the WWF as well, these sort of skirt-looking things as part of their attire. And let's be honest, you've got to be one tough son of a gun to come to the ring wearing a skirt and wrestle wearing that ring attire. Well, Thrasher in the uh, pleated full skirt ensemble. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a good fashion coordinator here, but I'm trying to. <laughs> You're doing very nicely. Thank you. See, I kind of like the headbangers in part because they look different from everybody else, and that, that goes back to the whole attire thing. So it's not a bad idea for them to costume themselves in that way. So we start out, Tracy gets trapped in the corner, but then reverses a cross-corner whip on Mosh. He hits drop kicks on both Mosh and Thrasher, who comes into the ring. They make a le Mosh then makes a legal tag to bring Thrasher into the match. He gets double hip-locked by both of the thugs as the dirty white boy locks in an arm ringer on Thrasher. And I am reminded, and maybe I've talked about this, I don't I don't think I've had a lot of headbangers matches, so I can't imagine when this would have come up. Maybe if I did a 99 WWF show, maybe they were on a 97 show that I did. Who knows? But the magazine Thrasher, which is about skateboarding, I heard about that years ago because when the NHL announced they were expanding back to Atlanta for the 1999-2000 season, and the team was going to be called the Atlanta Thrashers, they actually had a trademark dispute, and I believe it had to do with the magazine, and that eventually got hashed out. Apparently, I'm all over trademark stuff. I mean, once again, it goes into my hole. I could have been a copyright lawyer if I had truly applied myself. As a drop toe hole by Tracy Smothers, which is followed up by a leg drop by the Dirty White Boy and a nice little double team move. But Thrasher fights back, probably more than the Atlanta Thrashers did in their... <laughs> 12 years in the NHL when they made the playoffs once and got swept by the New York Rangers. Although, to be fair to the Thrashers, they did win the Southeast Division for the 2006-2007 season, and that is how they qualified for the playoffs that year. Mosh then tries to follow up, but he misses an elbow. Now, Thrasher and 
Tracy Smothers are in there. Get a back elbow off an Irish whip by Tracy. So nice to have the back elbow back in my life. All four men are in the ring, so the whole thing kind of breaks down. Dirty White Boy puts his head down. A cardinal mistake by a ring veteran. Thrasher DDTs him. Brian Hildebrand is distracted by trying to get Mosh and Tracy Smothers out of the ring. So now Thrasher heads to the outside. He picks up a chair. He's coming back in. Looks like he's going to wallop the white boy. But here come the Rock and Roll Express hitting the ring. And this results in the thugs getting disqualified, which is interesting because Hildebrand sees the chair and sees the Rock and Rolls and assumes that they were there to assist the thugs in that one, even though it really wasn't that way. He was trying to save Dirty White Boy from a chair from a chair use so uh, are they are they the heels here it's you know you you would almost think that the term thug would make smothers and dirty white boy the heels in this one but i'm getting the sense that the rock and rolls are more lined up to go in that direction look here thrasher's got a chair white boy down he's the, here comes the r and r rock and roll express hit the ring get that chair out of thrasher mark curtis lets us call it for the bell Ladies and gentlemen, the winners by disqualification, the Headbangers. Well, the Headbangers, Les, have won this match via DQ, but the Rock and Roll Express were able to take that chair away from Thrasher and maybe save serious injury at the hands to the Thugs. We have some discussion between the four in the ring now, and it doesn't seem to be a friendly talk either. White Boy and Smothers didn't. I don't think they saw, Les, that Thrasher picked up that chair. I don't believe so either, Chip. And I think that's the bone of contention, because I think they're rock and roll, maybe just being Budinskis, if you will. Maybe a little grandstanding, but that was not the case at all, as Ricky and Robert were just there to help out their friends. You can also make the argument the rock and rolls are trying to preserve their title match by keeping the title on the thugs, since it's not going to change by a DQ. I have the kayfabe hat. For, hold on, let me adjust it. All right, firmly on now. They want a DQ means title doesn't change hands, so they keep their title match at Super Bowl. But if the Headbangers were to somehow win this match, well, then the Headbangers match would become the title match, and this would become just some sort of weird grudge match between two nominally babyface teams, I guess. But luckily, before we close up here, we get promos with both teams hanging out, and Clearly, there's a difference of opinion on what was trying to be accomplished there. Joining me, the Rock and Roll Express oh, and the yeah, Thugs. Yeah, 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 the Rock and Roll, the big heroes. You always got to be the big hero, don't they? Hey, 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 wait, wait a minute. White boy, white boy, white boy. They said that uh, uh, one of the headbangers had a chair, man. That's what I've been hit in the head with a chair before, and by God, I'm still standing here. Well, next time they come up behind you, I'll let them bash your damn brains in. Oh, come on. Uh, come on, you guys. Come on, man. Come on, this is... Hey, well, let me tell you one thing. Listen, I'm not worried about this Friday night because you two guys can't be too out with the dresses so on. We ain't got no problem to worry about. Hey, that. hey, wait a minute, man. You're awful cocky, aren't you, huh? Those two guys with dresses on are a great tag team or they wouldn't be in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Just like the Rock and Roll Express who are five-time former world tag team champions. But what it took you two guys four months to do, the thugs did it, and one night we beat Al Snow and Unibon and we're the Smoky Mountain tag team champions. That's right, you're good, man. Hey, let me tell you something, thugs. 
Y'all don't appreciate our help, so next time you get your ass whooped, don't expect us to be there. We'll be in the back watching. Yeah. Once again, I am so here for evil Ricky Morton, and none of this Richard Morton from the York Foundation crap where he's only going halfway. I want him all in, talking about bashing guys in the skull with chairs. And having the dirty white boy say, I don't care, I've been hit in the head with a chair before. That was that was a great answer. Robert Gibson, evil Robert Gibson, eh, a little bit undecided on him. But he can come too, because we have proper ratios maintained here that we're going to have evil Ricky Morton talking seven times as much as evil Robert Gibson, as it should be. And that's a wrap for a surprisingly enjoyable inspiring edition of Smoky Mountain Wrestling from July 29th, 1995. Another podcast this week, the Our Vantage Point podcast, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn, they're looking at a WCW Pro from November of 1993 and also doing a, a reevaluation of the Bushwhackers as an act not the sheep herders but the wwf bushwhackers as they were with the whoa and the yay and the gross licking of people that would make them the greatest heel tag team in the era of COVID 19. with with all that said you know my personal reevaluation of them is you, honestly i have to understand that not everything over the course of a wrestling program is going to be appreciated by me. I, I just want to be able to like most of the stuff. I think Pearl Jam said it best on the Vitology album. This is not for you. actually a true sentiment but also a cheap way to segue to my plug for steve bennett's the sportscasters podcast <laughs> i mean it's his favorite band in the whole world anyway richard dyche was the other guest along with jack mccallum on his last show and when dyche is on there he's with the athletic now formerly of sports illustrated media writer they always cover the exact media topics that i want to listen to so it's always a pleasure to listen to Bennett and Dyche get together, and, and Jack McCallum stuff as well that I talked about last week, and I actually just bought Jack McCallum's book that he wrote about eight years ago about the Dream Team that he now is having a podcast about going back for some of the interview tapes that he did at the time. So now I'll read that book, and I'm going to listen to the podcast. I'm actually, one of the other things that I've been doing to kind of keep myself from going too crazy is i've been trying to carve out one hour a night for just reading maybe you know i'll have tv on in the background but i will sit there and i will read what is generally basketball books on my kindle it's amazing you know i never would have thought that it was going to come to this where i was going to become such a fan of kareem abdul jabbar even though he's such a weird and awkward dude I mean, he grew up Roman Catholic and chafed against all the sort of restrictions that that entailed. And people hated him and were like, oh, Kareem doesn't like white people. And I just want to say, can you really blame him? You know, just just taking a look around. But anyway, before I close out this show 
And I don't have a plan for next week's show. I'm going to let something inspire me along the way. It'll probably be a Power 5 show. You're probably not going to get another Smoky Mountain out of me right away. Because I doubt that there's anything out there quite as good as, or that would inspire me on the same level as something like this. Now, I'm sure somebody will come along and you know tell me that this promo or that. Then again, I covered New Jack already where he gave the shout out to Juice Simpson. So I... I, I like I covered two of the most famous promos in Smoky Mountain history at the, this point. But what I can do right now is a quick edition of YouTube Comment Theater. Now, as always, I, I haven't done this in a while, or at least it feels that way. These are actual comments left by actual YouTube users. Now that I think about it, I think I might have done it two weeks ago, but I've lost all sense of time. I can't remember what I did when, but yet I can remember what episode 50 was for the podcast. So who knows how the mind really works. Vanilla Gorilla. That is a great freaking username. As always, these are actual users from YouTube commenting on the episode in question. Vanilla Gorilla. That does sound like a Hanna-Barbera character, but that's McGilla Gorilla. Great promo by Buddy. More realness in that promo than the last 10 years of WWE combined. Yeah, a lot of scripted promos in WWE. I don't know if they've been getting away from that a little bit more, but the two most memorable promos of the 2010s in WWE... I, I, why don't I say three? Mark Henry's Fake Out Retirement... CM Punk's pipe bomb and the Miz going insane on Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack. Like, those are the three that I'm going to remember for a long time going forward. Ruzzer says, it's RU, three Zs and an R. Wolfman was robbed. Wolfman was robbed. Well, he had a pectoral giblet issue or whatever the hell they said it was. They wanted to hold off him getting his big win until the very end of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Philip DeFibaugh says, Corny reciting the lyrics to Kiss is Unholy cracks me up. Now, oh, okay, it did sound like it was flowing off the tongue in a very natural fashion, so as it turns out, he was reciting song lyrics. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that I'm not really in tune with Kiss, even though, well, I'm in tune with Kiss in other ways. I talked about them on a recent GFA Live with Keithy, how the Freebirds sort of became the kiss of, <laughs> of like, the kiss of professional wrestling. And it's like, I don't want to think of Terry Gordy as, like, the, f- the fake Ace Frehley or anything. So it's a good thing he checked out when he did. Christopher Costa says, was this, like, the first Taker versus Kane? SMW first. Yeah, yeah, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, like the clip I played earlier. NDS and said, okay, now I have to see Super Bowl. And a lot of those matches, in fact, I think the whole card might be out there on YouTube. I don't know if I'm ever going to get the time to watch that beyond the Landell Michaels match, which I was very just interested in watching. Wow, 77777 says, the hottest show in town four months later bit the dust. Well, there were underlying problems that are not readily apparent if you're watching. You know, they're not going to say, hey, come on out because we're losing money hand over fist. Like, they're, they're not going to, pl- you know, they're not going to show you that card. Gamer64 says, I'm waiting for all the Mario 64 related comments to start showing up for no reason. I don't know what the hell that's about. Like, Pebble replies, I was looking forward to this. Is that some sort of thing where people are commenting about 
I, I, I don't understand what goes on on the internet half the time. CJ Jay says, Unfortunately, the Wolfman's posterior giblet injury kept getting worse. He eventually had to have a giblectomy. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny, but that's a pretty good one. Andy T says, That's why scripted promos are the worst. Does anyone think Buddy would have cut a promo even 10% that good if he had to memorize word by word what he had to say? Well, I think part of it is he would not have been given four minutes and five seconds or whatever it was to go and say that. And if you are scripting something that's coming from the heart, of course it's going to come out unnatural. And Nancy McKivens says, T.L. Hopper, do you know where the camera is? Well, that's rude to be calling him by his gimmick name in the wrong promotion. But he's looking away from the camera because Smoky Mountain has this belief where not everybody has to stand at the same freaking three-quarter angle to recite their promo to the camera. And honestly, it's the way I like it, and it's the way it used to be, just like the song at the beginning of the show goes. And that'll do it for YouTube Comment Theater. I will ask one favor of you if you have not done this for me already, and that is to leave a review for Greetings from Allentown. Five stars is definitely appreciated the most on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcast reviews are accepted because it provides what is known as social proof that you are listening to and enjoying this particular podcast. And deep down, it's really nice at the end of the day to get positive feedback from you, the great listeners of Greetings from Allentown, I certainly do appreciate it. And throw in a review for GFA Live as well. We've now done nine of those things, and I think we're getting better at it as we go along. At least in terms of you know churning out the comedy in a more organic fashion as we go forward. We don't write anything down. I don't even tell Keith what show we're going to do on there. It's like he, I, he just has to react. So what he does on that podcast, to me, is absolutely incredible and uh, definitely a credit to him and his amazing comedy chops. So anyway, that is it for me for this week. But do tune in next time for another exciting episode of Greatest Rob Allentown. They come up behind you, I'll let them bash your damn brains in. <laughs>